Yeah, that was really bad. The Incomparable Podcast, number 88, April 2012. Welcome back, everyone, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell, and we are here tonight to kick off uh, the third in our trilogy of podcasts about the original Star Wars trilogy. We started a long time ago, feels like a year ago, with the original Star Wars, and then we followed it up in the fall with The Empire Strikes Back, and we're back here in the spring. Just as just as the seasons change, so too does our target we we move on to Return of the Jedi. Stay on target. <laughs> Return of the Jedi, the third in the original Star Wars trilogy. Um, I remember quite well the wait for this movie between the, the the wait between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So painful. I remember sitting doodling on my paper in eighth grade, um, you know, imagining Star Wars things as we waited for uh for for the the summer when Return of the Jedi would come out and we could actually see uh, the resolution of the story of the the Star Wars saga, which which uh, for me, for people of my age, um, you know, this was a story that that spanned really our childhood, and we had to we had to wait, not like those whippersnappers who got to watch it all at once. I'm joined today by whippersnappers, by the way. Uh, again, I am Jason Snell, host of The Incomparable. I have with me some uh, returning Star Wars commentators. Dan Morin is here. Hello, Dan. Hi, Jason. Just point out, which I'll which I'll mention later. I saw this in the theater. Good job. Good Thank job. You. Were you a lo- were you, you like outside of your mother's womb? Uh, yeah, I was. I was five. All right. I think Excellent. it was the it was re released. Oh, okay. Well, that's. I was. Of... I was alive when it came out. Yeah. Yeah. Also joining me is Serenity Caldwell, who probably saw the re release when it came out in 1999. Seven and yes. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Yes. Thank you for being here. Together again, huh? It is. Here we do. We're doing this again. This is it, right? There won't be any more of these, right? This is it. I'm a little tearful about that. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't miss it. Because there certainly weren't any other movies. We'll loop back around and and do Star Star Wars again. Yeah. There's stuff we missed. And of course, a comment about Star Wars would not be complete without, with the exception of Dan Moore and I guess the the other, sorry, Ren, but the, the, the... one of the two people I know who loves Star Wars the most, John Syracusa. Hi, John. Hello, Jason. It's good to have you have you back for part three. Wouldn't miss it. Or actually, when we when we reach the half point halfway point today, I believe we will enter episode six of our six episodes about Star Wars. So that works. That is fitting, yes. All too fitting. So we're gonna take this chronologically. As you may have gathered there, uh, but before the year was 1983. It was 1983. So I guess when I said it was eighth grade, I was wrong. It was seventh grade when I was doodling in my notebook, daydreaming about Star Wars. Well, yeah. So here's the weird thing: it, it was re-released in theaters in '85, I believe, um, because that I, I have this argument with my parents um, because I I I have a very vivid memory of being picked up by my my mother at preschool. I wasn't even in kindergarten yet. And being like super psyched to go to get to go see Return of the Jedi because it had just I like I thought it had just come out. But obviously, (laughs) 
I was five, so I, I don't think I really knew what was going on. But they insist that, I, you know, I knew for years oh, I came out in 83, so I must have been three years old. And they're like, no, we would not have taken you to that movie no. at three years old. And I was like, but I remember it. So I looked it up at some point, and I think it was re-released in the theaters in 1985 because they used to do that. Yeah. Back sure. in the day. Before home video really took root, uh, right. they absolutely did that. Um, but I did see it. I actually saw it uh, as a seventh grader. Um I got to the theater, long line, get up to the front, and they say, well, it's almost sold out. There's probably, like, a couple of seats, but they're they're really bad. Do you, do you want to watch it? And I'm like, yeah, of course I want to watch it. Are you kidding? All of my kind of studied not caring about Star Wars so much because I liked Star Trek and all that, by the time Return of the Jedi came out, it was out the window. It's like, no, I will sit, and I did, in the front row. In the <laughs> far right corner Ooh. seat, and so when when uh, when the climactic moment of this all these years of buildup of my childhood came, my neck hurt so bad. <laughs> but you didn't care, Jason. It I did, was right? so worth it. It was so skewed on that giant screen. I'm all the way in the corner and all that, but it didn't matter. No, you're right. It didn't matter. Uh, so does anybody? And I'm looking at John when I say this. Have any opening remarks that they would like to uh, share with us before we move into our chronological stepping through Return of the Jedi? I do have a brief, brief opening statement. All right, I'll a, allow it. A, a few very specific things to say about Return of the Jedi. Excellent. So here we are, Return of the Jedi, the beginning of the end. And in hindsight. All the signs were there. We know this now because we live here in the future in 2012. All the signs of the George Lucas that we would come to know in the new millennium are in this movie. So you, you are a proponent of the theory that, that in some ways, the, that Return of the Jedi points the way to the prequels. And yet, and the yet. Wackles? <laughs> yeah. And yet this movie does many, many things well, including the most important thing it has to do which is provide a satisfying end to the series, which, as we know, contains only three movies. Yes. And it also has what I think is one of the boldest messages of any action-adventure trilogy, and it conveys that message successfully. And I'm sure we will discuss this as the movie continues. That is my opening statement. Nice setup there. You're, you're creating some drama. We know that this podcast will have an end, and it will probably be satisfying, because it's the incomparable. Four hours from now. But we are, we are creating some dramatic tension to lead us through. I think that's excellent work. You learned from the masters. All right, so Return of the Jedi. Um, it uh, it starts with credits. Yeah, okay. And uh, <laughs> I just you, uh, would you care to read the opening scroll for us? I no. Um, it, it involves Luke returning to Tatooine. Actually, it it it's it's funny. Um, the uh, my son is a is an avid reader, and yet when we watched this movie um, this weekend, he. Uh, completely ignored the the scroll i think it's too much work to look at the slanting lines as you're reading it does, but it does hurt the eyes a little bit but it is a way for george lucas and his and his team of people to um to basically say yeah yeah this stuff happened uh we're not gonna show it to you it's like suffice it to say they're building a new death star i mean is that that's essentially what it is it's suffice right, it to which say, we, we see in the opening shot anyways <laughs> yeah right we're we're about to show it to you i'll be honest Empire's credits I remember fairly well. Star Wars credits are fairly iconic, but the this opening crawl I can never focus on for more than five seconds. I'm like, yay, the movie. Okay, let's get to the movie. 
Yeah. We want to find out what happened to Han Solo. They were just, all right, words, words, words. Yeah, all right, all right. Where is he? And then instead of that, what we get is uh, the Death Star under construction. Completing yet our uh, our third in, you know, every opening sequence begins with a Star Destroyer, essentially. Yeah, I pan down to a planet and a Star Destroyer, right? Well, it pans down and there's the Death Star, Star and then the Star Destroyer comes in overhead yes. like it does. not It's just sort of in a throwback to yes. the first it's Star Wars, yeah. Um, love that moment of seeing this, the, the Death Star again, because that, that was the, for me, that was one of those unexpected things. It's like, wow, they're going all the way back. They're building, we're building another Death Star. We're going to, you know. They must have started it, like, when the first one was already done, though, right? Yeah. Because, like, Cause it's, it's only been a few years since, well, since build uh, one Star Wars. You can build two for twice, exactly. twice the price. Exactly yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And, and although it and looks, of scale. you know, but it looks, you know, it's, it's only partially constructed. It's probably not fully operational. It looks much cooler. Doesn't everyone think it looks much yeah. cooler than the yeah. completed one? The completed one was like, it's kind of a big golf ball. Tennis this ball, looks yeah. Cool. Right. The imperfections of it, I think, make it that much more intriguing. It, and it gives it scale, because when it's when it's featureless in a giant sphere, you can imagine it being smaller than it is, but the tiny crags in this thing make you think it looks larger. So yeah. I'm, I'm a big, I love the uh, the incomplete Death Star. There's a shot later on, which we'll get to, that actually I love because it tries to put the Death Star in... Uh, in size perspective with the the moon that it's orbiting around but so so in this opening scene uh darth vader arrives on this constructed death star uh to talk to the the gentleman who's in charge of building it and um i was immediately struck by what kind of a, a manager the emperor is um the guy seems to talk a good game he's like oh no we're on track we're doing great death star we're gonna make it we're gonna hit all our schedules and uh and and Darth Vader's like sprint, but Darth Vader's like yeah uh the emperor doesn't share your enthusiasm uh so i'm here to basically kick you in the shins and make sure that you do your job so uh, so immediately my thought is wow that emperor he's a jerk he's a well, terrible I love that manager. Darth, Darth Vader is like the one the one like capable guy in the empire and, and he's mr fixer his job yeah. is to like get sent around and like yell at people until they actually do their job he's he's the fixer yeah he is He's the Emperor's fixer. I love also, I, I could not believe that, that this was the first time I, I sort of thought about the fact that in that first shot, the shuttle comes out of the Star Destroyer, flips his little wingy things down, flies over to the Death Star, flips his little wingy things up, lands. And that was the first time I actually thought, what does it need the little wingy things for? <laughs> it's you know, space. Actually, <laughs> it, it made sense to me because they're entering the hangar, which probably has artificial gravity. And there's probably yeah, what, some sort of what, gravity. But it puts them up as soon as it point. goes in. It's in space. <laughs> I, just, I, was I was amused. I, I well, I mean, you know, twenty what, tw- almost thirty years of watching this movie, and I this is the first time it actually even occurred to me. I didn't care before, but now I'm looking for all the little details. You're looking for the nitpicks. As I said, I watched this with my kids, and um, my kids have played Lego Star Wars through many, many times, and I, I like to bring up funny things my kids say while watching it in these podcasts. And the, the funniest thing that my son said during the entire watching of Return of the Jedi, which my kids love, it's my, it's my kids. And we can talk about this too, and talk about the prequels and all of that. This is my kids' favorite of the Star Wars movies, which I, you know, I think says something about its effectiveness as a kids' movie. And I do think that maybe points the way a little bit to where George Lucas was was headed. But anyway. Darth Vader rips into this poor guy who's been put in charge of building the Death Star and leaves him behind and the guy is standing there on the shuttle deck. And my son turns to me and says, in Lego Star Wars, that guy cries. 
<laughs> also in Return of the Jedi, he also cries. It's just inside. He's yeah. He goes yeah. into a little side room to weep and write a letter home explaining he may not be coming back. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't scanned well, I mean, the negative high enough to see his tears it, yet. It could have been uh you know, it could have been really driven home if Darth Vader had been like, remember the last guy who ran a Death Star? <laughs> <laughs> There's a severe amount of, or lack thereof, of force choking in this movie, I've noticed. Maybe to make up for all uh, of the force choking. Yeah, actually, the- we'll I get have, to that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the thing that struck me about the hangar scene was, obviously, they, they built this set, which they used a couple times in this movie, of the big black floor and then, like, the matte paintings behind it and everything, right? Yeah. And some that's a big tile black floor with, like, scuff marks all over it. And looking at that floor, I'm like, you know, if they did that on a green screen, they wouldn't have made the floor so kind of like dingy looking because it's hard to get a giant polished surface. You know, in a computer, you can get a perfectly smooth, glassy black surface made of tiles. But these are these are beat up tiles on a soundstage somewhere. And that that feel of this movie uh, is something that they still quite haven't quite captured with CG. You know what I mean? They were so excited about that floor that they clipped it out to reuse it in the Empire Special Edition in one scene. They inserted. Wow, it's a good looking floor. Wow. So yeah. So Darth Vader comes and 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 checks up on this poor guy who then in Lego Star Wars he cries. Um, and we the stage is set. The Death Star is being rebuilt. Although I my guess, by the way, no. Um, all the thermal exhaust is just kept inside the Death Star forever. There are no ports. You would think they learned that lesson. Yeah, it's like a. It's about it's about ninety two degrees. Once we close up, star, once we close time. up the superstructure, we'll be safe. Yeah. Right. Well, so they, they didn't for build that giant middle <laughs> that they haven't finished constructing. Well, they're, yeah, they they're left, not done. They huge tunnels in it. They're not done. Yeah, that's part of the construction drive process. Drive through there, but I, I think it's pretty unlikely. But once it's closed up, bulletproof. We're just. I'm just saying, Emperor. Bulletproof. Once we finish it. But nobody, you got to protect me until then, or it's not going to work. Anyway, so uh, on to Tatooine. Uh, we're back on Tatooine. Hey, that was my note. It's I, like, look, it's Tatooine. Yeah, I, I again, think feel it's lazy, but like, I kind of like that book ending. Again, back to the first movie. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of callbacks. Obviously, you know, this being the end of the trilogy, there are a lot of things in there that we visit that are direct throwbacks to either star wars or empire right you know because we go back to dagobah we go back to tatooine we're on the death star you know there's a lot of time spent sort of you know referring to things that happened in earlier movies but it's good it provides sort of a shorthand i think which is which is nice we don't spend too much time you know having to learn about new stuff we kind of get tatooine right it's set up for us and it's a good wraparound because so this is a series of three movies. And in the first movie, Han Solo mentions Jabba the Hutt, although the scene with him is cut because he was just some Irish dude. Jabba O'Hutt. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He's not still just an Irish dude? Uh, he might be. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Him <laughs> but he's mentioned. And then and then you wait until, you know, one movie and then another movie. And then you're like, oh, yeah, there's that guy that they talked about in the first movie. And he's an integral part of this movie. You know, most movie series don't have that kind of patience. And I don't know if it's just because Lucas didn't have any idea what or who Jabba the Hutt was in the beginning and just needed Han Solo to owe somebody money. Uh, and then they thought, hey, if the third movie, remember that job? Why don't we just put him in this one? And then they figure out what he is. Or, you know, most of the time, movies will not plan out an arc 
that long. Like if you mentioned Job of the Hut, <laughs> you mentioned Job of the Hut in Act One, and you gotta act, pay it off. Yeah, right, as, act, as Chekhov act, once said. <laughs> yeah, in yeah, Act Two, that Job of the Hut's got to go off. He's got to. He's got to be <laughs> fired. Gun. So, so you're right. It, it's funny when you think about it that this is the story about Luke and his journey and Darth Vader and the rebellion. But all three movies have as one of the major plot elements. Han Solo owing some money to a big blob on Tatooine. We and, don't know he's a big blob. Well, we don't. Just... No, it turns out he's a big blob. But yeah, so he owns. He owes the money. That's why he takes the job in the first movie. That's why Boba Fett is looking for him in the second movie. And of course, then we have to free him in the third movie. So in the end, it feels very effective as this overarching story. Even though I think you're right, John, that it, you know it may have just have been. Uh, the screenwriters picking up the plot thread because it's like, hey, it's out there. You know, it gives yeah. us something to do. So let's let's keep following through. And they chose to make that the second act sort of downer is that our hero, one of the characters that we love, gets captured because of this. He's you know taken off by Boba Fett. So you you have to find out what happened to Han Solo. That's what we're all waiting for, right? Oh yeah. And so you know he he was sent to the bounty hunter. Got him. He goes back to the job of the hut. You got to find out where he went. Yeah. So they knock on Jabba's front door, as you do R two D two and C three PO. Very Wizard of Oz like shot. Yes, there's very. some uh, there's some nice backfill in there too, where they're like, oh, you know, Lando and Chewie went to this place and they never came back. Yeah, follow along, kids. We're already set up. Yeah, there they, there definitely is a lot of that sort of trying to. There's try, a condensed yeah there's trying a lot to of set you up, delivering you with this information that you need. Tell tell the story that you've. Uh, yeah, although that's actually a problem because when 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 C three PO and R two D two get inside. One of the lines that struck me as a real clunker is where um, C-3PO says, R2, look, Captain Solo, and he's still frozen in carbonite, yeah. as he was yeah. at the I end of the last film, where we, if you recall, the, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, we <laughs> but, saw the movie. But clearly, this is just like, recap for those who, you know, because it's a movie, and maybe you didn't, don't Soto. remember. He's an avant-garde wall hanging. <laughs> he is. He is. Jabba is a collector of art. Literally. The droids are always used for that exposition type stuff. It's just that you can do it gracefully and you can do it clumsily. This and a couple of the ones in Jedi yeah. start sliding over to that other side. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, again, getting back to the signs being there, George Lucas didn't write this movie by himself. Kasdan is credited with the, the screenplay along with him. So I don't know what the split was there, but clearly it's not Lucas by himself. And it's like, well, That's so just... when Kasdan has to do it, he can make the droids provide exposition that does not make our teeth go on edge. But now there's like a little, little Lucas in there, you know? I'm just saying, let's assume the casting got all the good lines and Lucas got all the bad ones. It's a pretty safe assumption. That, that's expedient, mm-hmm. yeah. Because we have evidence of what does Kasdan do on his own with Lee Brackett, I guess, and what does Lucas do on his own, and it's it's a very, very clear line there, let's say. Also, I, I suppose that this could have happened off screen, but, um, you know, I think Jabba's security is really bad. It's like, I mean, like, R2... They just like let these guys roll in. I mean, if R two D two is like uh, packed with explosives, boom! That's the end of Job of the Hut, right? It's so it's so hard to find good help, you know. I mean, they're not the most strong willed, smart guy. I mean, those those uh the Gimmerine guards, not really, yeah, not really great. hired for their intelligence. The pig, the pig guys. Yeah. They do let in somebody. Please, Jason, they, uh... give them their actual name. Pig guards. Ugh. Pig guards. Pig guards, <laughs> right? They're never yeah, referred to by to name, say. right? I mean, no. not in the not in the movie. The pig well, guards. I think <laughs> the the competence of the guards in Jabba's palace is in fitting with the overall tone of this section of the movie and the whole movie. There's a little bit of a kind of 
action adventure jokey thing not that they're going into self-parody but i would say like some of the indiana jones movies start to sway into this a little bit too where the oh, yeah. indiana jones is more kind of lighthearted. but this movie is much more about look at these funny villains aren't they they're kind of scary but they're also kind of goofy and it's it it's not i'm not gonna say it's devolved into self-parody but it's it's, there's enough of a history with the two movies behind it that they can do a little bit of the self-tweaking, and that, I think, uh, uh, influences the whole tone of this movie. And I don't well, think it it's also, inappropriate. Yeah. yeah, no, it also means a little more... It's a little more humor than we've seen. I mean, there is humor in the earlier movies, but it's a little more overt here, I think. Or the, the tone of it is slightly different. And I think that's not... I agree, that's not a bad thing. Um, you know, they've kind of earned it at this point. And it's not all jokey, right? Like there's definitely some stuff later on, which we'll get to, which is which is actually pretty dramatic and pretty serious. So we we uh R2 fires off again a callback to the first movie. He fires off his hologram Luke Skywalker uh, projector, Jedi Priest. And there's Luke Skywalker wearing his little black uh priest does outfit. He, does he, I've always thought he looks like a priest. It's that yeah, little totally. it's the, it's the contrast, totally right? Like his every, collar. Just, uh, He's got yeah, the little the collar, collar looks dip, like it looks like a like a yeah, like a dog collar. Uh, yeah, I I love that Jedi priest. And we find out why he sent the droids all the way there. Yeah, right. right. That, that you was, know, just mailing something, which is in typical typical uh, droids as comic relief, and nothing funnier than seeing C three PO flustered. It's the I give you these droids. What? <laughs> what did he say? That he, was a good delivery because they don't linger on it and they keep going. You're playing yeah. the wrong message. That that's a C three PO is not Catherine Hepburn. Sorry about that. No, he's not. He's not, and and a callback that I really appreciated is the restraining bolt, which is used on them because that is the cruelest yeah. bolt of all—the restraining yeah. bolt that makes how the it works. Droids you know. do the, your bidding. You can still see in the corner when in that shot when they're like being processed, you can see the sort of divot where the first restraining bolt was put on C three PO, and it's kind of like, oh, what a nice callback. <laughs> they just they they never replaced that piece of the armor. No, I mean, they could have in Cloud City, but there were, you know, guns and stormtroopers, so. So what else do we have here? There's a, a, an arrival of a, a strange bounty hunter we haven't seen before. Oh, before that, you got the, uh, the, the, uh, the Twi'lek thrown into the, to the unseen Rancor monster. Yeah, he uh, got yes. set up. Yeah, they, I mean, they don't show you. She goes, she falls down a pit. Everyone looks, but we don't get to see. So there's a little ah, foreshadowing right. there. Yeah. And you, you get to see her dance around and stuff briefly. Well, and you get that you get that lovely '80s inspired disco y yes. number with the Max Rebo band hair. She's a maniac on the floor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yes, it's Job of the Hut's flash dance. One of the things that I, you know, and I, again, not that we're going necessarily a whole bunch into the special edition, but man, the musical number in the special edition is terrible. No, yes, terrible. It totally doesn't fit the tone of the piece. Is the thing I, you know, as a whole. Yeah, that's dated the the sort of musical number for the original one, but it's consistent with the rest of the movie. Yeah, and it's about well, balance. It's about balancing the tone. This isn't a musical, and it's not like we're and now for this commercial break. No, right. Well, I mean, it feels right for a sort of the CD gangster palace. There's even a little bit of sort of a a noiry feel to yeah to nightclub the, to the kind of vibe. They're thugs. Yeah. They're not going to hire first class musicians. It's just kind of like yeah, this is our house they're band. Hiring, they're we hiring probably Muppets. pay them and you know not shooting them. Yeah. So did all of us watch the um, despecialized version for this podcast, or did did you watch the special edition? Oh, unspecialized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. unspecialized. Of course, yeah. Okay, I, well, I like that's the good. fact that the lead singer is hideously ugly. That creature, <laughs> yes. I mean, with a little, it, with a, a lipstick a, though on the end like of a, the little yeah. snout. A giant potato with legs. Well, how much are you going to get in Tatooine? 
Yeah, well, the, the, you know, the dancer, one of the dancer girls is attractive, but the singer, it's just, show, I liked, I always liked that part of both the Cantania and this is like, you know, these aliens are here and they're going to have attractive women, but attractive doesn't mean attractive to us. Maybe that alien is attractive to aliens of its species, you know, because she's the lead singer and she's all dolled up, right? Yeah, plus you got Max Rebo, who is awesome. The blue, the elephant, blue elephant on the keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but you're right. The singer is just like got a big schnoz mouth protuberance spindly muppet legs yeah that's really weird that scene is weird in both versions but you're right it's more like a pop performance yeah it's a pop special it's a a very 90s feeling pop number unsurprisingly oh plus we've got the uh the introduction of also of salacious crumb the little yeah (laughs) the laughing muppet guy that's his one thing delightful Mm. In like a creepy way. <laughs> Finally, C three PO has found his equal, <laughs> his nemesis, Salacious Crumb. I will eat your eye, <laughs> droid. <laughs> he is. He does remind me of him of like a like the the who's the guy who throws the fish in the Muppet Show. He reminds me of that guy a little bit. He's just like he's very Muppet like in his. No, oh, he's Rizzo, except he doesn't talk. He's Rizzo. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Just laughs maniacally and tries to eat three PO's eye. I think someone told me recently that they met a girl who laughed just like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of terrifying. <laughs> so, so, so new bounty hunter we've never seen before. Yep. New bounty hunter with oh creepy man, voice. let me tell you with a thermal detonator. Mwahaha. That's one of my favorite languages. Like that yeah. whole the language God there dope. because man, God dope. Yeah, yeah, like that that <laughs> word that is a multi purpose word. That is hey, how's it going? <laughs> hey, I want fifty thousand. Hey, I've got a bomb. Yeah. Like it's just two words. That's it. It's all about intonation. One of my notes here is the Star Wars Star Wars made up languages suck. This is this is about <laughs> the same time that they're that they uh, in the if you're going to give anything to the Star Trek movies, let's give them that they actually had a linguist make up a language that more with Klingon and a little bit with Vulcan that that more or less sounds like a a language that is not English, whereas. Uh, the Star Wars made-up languages are just the same syllables as the English words, and they just throw in different sounds. That makes it, you think you can fake. understand it, though. It's I, terrible. These Star Wars fake languages have character, though, because the, the lines yeah. delivered in them make no uh, sense grammatically or have any relation to what it is they're saying, but they have a sort of sing-song quality. Like, it's the sound that these characters should make, you know, that the bounty hunter should sound like But that. the fact that the, the intonation is exactly the intonation of the subtitles is so well, painful to me because it's I, like but it's like a language that little a little kid would make up of like I'm going to speak a fake <laughs> language now my monabika me mumming mo it's like no that wouldn't no it's not in English it goes with different back sounds to making fun of this show uh, I still have to give them credit the you know as I did I think in the first movie for you know being willing to put a subtitles right, in the movie right, right? Oh, that's for, great. that is ostensibly for kids and b there are lots of lines that they don't subtitle exactly Pretty much and you have to pick it up from yes. all of bib fortuna's dialogue right when he's yeah. talking to them at the beginning it's all unsubtitled 3po understands it and we just sort of we pick it up from context and later on with the ewok same thing like they don't speak you know anything right. that's intelligible it's not translated at all we just have to yes. understand what they're saying well, it's very well and done. i think that's that's pretty brave it's very for, well a, done. for a movie that's you know intended for a a mass audience no it's very specifically selected too there's one scene um in jabba's palace when with between the bounty hunter i think where the one the only subtitled line we get in that exchange between the bounty hunter at least of java of java's uh, between the bounty hunter and java is his like 
this bounty hunter is my kind of scum. Uh, and then... Fearless and invent. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like the subtitles are our personal asides. Right. No, it's it's very artfully done. I just, I think the sound of the made-up languages is... is the, oh, they didn't put a lot of work into into it. It goes that, back to making fun of yourself a little bit, though. It's like, yeah, we're not yeah. we're not linguists. It's Star Wars. It's a space opera modeled after Flash Gordon. We're just gonna have some fun and make our made up languages sound as ridiculous as possible. Just yeah, like do you, our do aliens. You, do you really think that this was a conscious decision, or do you think this was just incompetence? Because it feels to me, it I, honestly, I, this is one of those ones that I'm just not buying it. I, I feel like I, this has always rubbed me wrong. I've, I'm actually surprised that i mean because it's you could say just say it's just star trek right but like the klingon i mean it's yeah it's funny that people teach klingon but i don't think it's incompetence i think it's just it's a difference of priorities i think that you know in the in the star trek universe i think the people creating that universe were very interested in the same way that tolkien was in like creating a language that actually was made sense right and they did it with dothraki with dothraki and game of thrones too i I think i think Mm -hmm. in star wars they're just it's not so much incompetence as this was not a priority they didn't really care that much about they were focusing on how these languages sound the mean characters got to have a mean sounding thing and like it was all about conveying things about character and very little about making a believable language or a culture yeah. But but couldn't they have just changed the syllable pattern a little bit? Couldn't they have written, you know, but written Java's syllable pattern is off a little bit from what he says, or it's like exact. or like changed the subtitle so it's not a literal translation of what they were saying in English and turned into sound because it just it always felt it just mapped a little too close to the subtitles and it always rang uh, wrong for me. It just struck me wrong. I didn't. I don't want to, you know beat it up too much. It's just it always. No, no. It, let's it, spend it, another twenty minutes. It, on it, it always just made me think. It's like wow, that's awfully awfully close to the what i'm reading in the subtitle here no uh, so they're not even speaking english jason it's a long time ago and so so, but back to that bounty hunter who who says that one word over and over again that has many different meanings um (laughs) what i what i was struck by in listening to that processed voice is you know carrie fisher's voice now sounds actually exactly like that (laughs) So, yeah, I was gonna say she's got burn. a couple lines later in the movie where you're like, "Oh, that's the current day Carrie Fisher peeking out." <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> she's been she's been smoking a little bit. There's a little. She was living hard, a little bit of a rasp. So, so did anybody uh, know uh, either because of spoilers or because they figured it out that that was Princess Leia when they first see this? No, 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 no. I don't. I don't know that I can remember that. Sorry. Oh, Ren. <laughs> I noticed Lando, and I noticed Lando giving the bounty hunter like an like an. Hmm, you're interesting. Well, Lando's so up to either, something. It was either Luke or it was Leia, was the back think, of well, my head. The only thing I remember picking up was that Boba Fett was clearly trying to pick up this bounty hunter, so then yeah, I identified I love, the yeah, bounty yeah. hunter the as female. Nod, but, but, oh, isn't yeah. that nod great? My, my favorite, we call it the, the Boba Fett nod. Oh, it was so cold, though. I, I admire your skills. Nicely played. It's a, <laughs> yes, very clever, but Thermal don't detonator. get too cocky. This is my arena. But also he's well, saying, yeah. hey, ladies. And so that tipped me <laughs> off as a kid. That tipped me off that this is a female bounty hunter. But I in no way knew that that was Princess Leia because I was not very smart as a child, apparently. Right. But uh, so this this is the great thing about these movies is that uh, it was still ba- it was back when you could still be surprised about stuff like this, because even if I was the same age in, in the modern era, trailers and stuff would have ruined it for me because they always do. And it would have revealed that that's Princess Leia. But I was totally surprised that this this ends up being Princess Leia. Uh, I was even surprised when he did the nod that I'm like a girl bounty hunter didn't sound like a girl. But, you know, they don't do that much of a job hiding the fact that she's built like a girl. Like you can see that oh, she's yeah, smaller her, and has hips. If you look at her legs, too. Yeah. Right. Which I was clearly doing as a kid. 
Yo, toe. <laughs> yeah. It's the highest compliment you can pay someone in that language. I'm just saying. It could so, also be the highest insult. So what is the... Now, I've got some strategy questions here for those of you who, who know so much about this. For, my first question is about Jabba, because they allow... Even though Jabba likes his Han Solo wall hanging, they allow the this new bounty hunter with a thermal detonator um, to sneak back into the room later in the evening and thaw out Han Solo while they watch. Um, Is Lando part of that? Why? <laughs> I meant to look and I forgot to look this time when I was watching through. But if he's Doesn't part of he, that uh... tableau... I kind of feel like he almost tipped them off to get on like Java's Java's good side and get on the the no, barge and like I don't know. I no, mean, it's, they, you know, if they can get away with it, they're the they're out well, of there, it, right? I think it fits with Java. Java strikes me as a practical jokester, and all the people hang out with him. It's kind of like an entourage hanging around a celebrity. You're <laughs> hang, they're hanging out because they want to like have fun and do. Uh-huh. And, like they're bored. They're bored most of the time in this right. palace. That's why they drop the slave girl down to the rank or to see her get eaten. Like they need something to entertain them, and this is pretty darn entertaining. Like the guys are sneaking in and taking out the thing, and then we catch them in the act and we throw them into the sarlacc. Yeah, well, and he's a and he's a bit cocky too, right? He's yeah. like, yeah, whatever. I'll, I mean, know. he gets to, he gets gotta, to kill him again. freeze him later. Yeah, well, he gets to kill him again. It's like, I caught him, he's right. in carbonite, and now I get to kill him. Bonus. Everything's coming up Java. <laughs> okay, so my next... <laughs> I mean, for at least the next 10 minutes. Yeah, so my next yeah. strategy question is, uh, they bring in Chewie, right? Chewie is brought in by the bounty hunter. Um, and and when when Han is thawed out and 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 Leia and Han are caught and they throw Han down into the into the pit, put right? him in the, in the pit same with cell. Or they're in the cell yeah, with Chewie, right? So so I had something that I hadn't thought of before is was that there was that Plan B was that Chewie would be there for Han because Chewie kind of protects Han while he's blind and all that. And it, I mean, I suppose I'm trying to make a reason why this incredible coincidence no, might make sense, I, I, but their, no, their plan basically falls apart. It's all a long con. I mean, why why would the droids get sent there, R2, with the lightsaber inside of him the entire That's time? right, inside. Sure. You know, it's it's all a complete long con devised by Luke, and I would say also by Lando and Chewie as a way to get around. I don't think Did Leia you never, had any uh, intention of getting out. Well, or it's saw... like, well, maybe we'll get out, but if not, then we've got, you know, the next circle, and then we got the next mm-hmm. circle. I think it has a plan with contingencies. Right. Like they have they have plan A, plan B, plan C, and plan D. And plan D is R two D two's got a lightsaber inside him, and we send Luke, and <laughs> everything takes plan care of itself. Plan E is R two D two uses the lightsaber, and nobody wants to see that. <laughs> didn't Didn't you guys see Skywalker's Eleven? I mean, it was pretty much the same plot. Yeah. I mean, R two has a little sparker thing. He, he does pretty well. Plan Plan no, F. It's it, we go back to R two D two suicide bomber, and he just blows yeah. the crap out of the whole place. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a thermal detonator. Thermal, yeah. Only yeah. the Rancor survives. Speaking of unfreezing, I like how how uh, Harrison Ford looks like a wet dish rag when he comes out of that carbonite. They didn't just have <laughs> him like so come bad. out and be like, "Hen, here I am." He looks like someone chewed him up and spit him out. He does and a great job with the shake, the shaky amazing. voice too. And he has no like, vest. Uh, he doesn't have his trademark vest. Poor guy. Well, he, t- he was taken away from him. In fact, I know. He's wearing obviously exactly just what he was wearing when he got thrown in. Except yeah. I think they actually tie his arms or something in, in Empire, which is not there. Um, but, uh, I, I kind of like that he does a good job of sort of the whole hibernation sickness thing. And the thing that always struck me, and I could never tell if it was a result of some like, uh, ADR looping or something is that in that scene where they throw him in with Chewie, he's got that whole, like, I'm all right. And then the second time he says it, his voice is like, back I'm to all right, so pal. Yeah. And he's like, I'm all right, pal. Yeah. They, all have, right, they, we're have, good. they have a tender relationship in this movie. I love, I love the relationship between Chewie and Han. 
It's just good. I want to. I want to. He's on the edge of tears in that last that last bit when he has when Chewie's holding him. It's really cute. (laughs) So uh, top ten romances. So uh, uh, Luke Skywalker finally appears in his robe. We've got you know Luke has come a long way. Last time we saw him on Tatooine, you know he was just this kid who wanted to go to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. And now he's got his robe and he's kind of a badass and he force he force chokes a pig guard. That's right. Two, two of them. them. Two of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm out for a little while and which is a yeah, little bit kind of grandeur. it is a little, a little, a little, a little dark side. Yeah. yeah, a little dark side. He's wearing all black, right? I mean, well, bad guys wear black or good guys wear black and bad guys wear white, right? Like all the stormtroopers wear white. Yeah. If you got to be a if you're a good guy, you got to wear black just to differentiate yourself. I guess so. So, so, and he uses the Jedi mind trick too. So he force chokes, and he uses the Jedi mind trick. So more callbacks. The, the force choking thing is a little is a little interesting because I had a debate. I had an endless debate with my friend Evan as a kid as to whether or not, you know, well, isn't that dark side? And he replied, "No, no, he just made them think they were choking." Was his <laughs> rationale, which I loved. Like, do you have any evidence for that? No, but I'm pretty sure that's true. I, I recall very clearly from when I watched this movie the first time that that. Seeing Luke in black and and very serious, it's a real, you know, it's a real change. You're like, wow, he's serious and yeah. he's like, he's walking the walk of being a Jedi now. And yet with the Force choking, it's also like, wow, he's kind of scary. He, and, which is setting up the whole, could he be turned to the dark side thing too? And it's it's a big change. For- well, his whole demeanor is so different from Star Wars and Empire, right? And they do, a, I think, you know, a lot of people knock, knock Hamill, but I think he does a really good job of doing that transition from... You know, the, the the farm boy in the first one to the guy who's sort of still impetuous and brash in the second one, but is sort of calming down a little bit. And they, you know, also, I love that they, you know, he wears gray in the middle one, right? <laughs> like, right, so yeah. we go from white to gray to black. Uh, and the last one, he is, he is extremely chill. There are a couple scenes where that facade breaks a little bit, but like, for the most part, he does a really good job. And I think, unfortunately, bad, you know, for better or worse, that his facial reconstruction definitely makes him look older. Yeah. And, you know, this works with Han. Because Han comes out of the Carbonite, and he's like, what, Luke saving us? That guy, that, that kid, you know, yeah. who, who I saved twice? And we're, we, like the audience, are like Han. We're like, Luke, he's going to save us? He just got his butt kicked by Vader, and his hand chopped off. He sucks. Right. And, well, and remember that the last time that those two characters saw each other is actually the beginning of Empire. Right. Right. Where he was, like, saving them, stuffing them into a Tauntaun, you know? Yeah, and, like, exactly. Like, that's the guy who's going to come save me. I'm constantly saving that guy. Now we're really screwed. So we, the audience, <laughs> feel the same way. And it's nice to see Luke kind of walk in. He's all calm. And we're like, you know, you don't know, like, who is this guy? Who he never lets on that this is plan D. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't, you know, it's, he's, he's calm even in, the, even in the face of plans A, B, and C all failing. Every plan is plan A. And one of the nice cuts that they made is there is, and I think this is included on the uh, reel on the Blu-ray edition, there is an early scene which shows him in, basically in like Obi-Wan's house building his lightsaber. Yeah. Um, and that breaks his dramatic entrance too. Exactly. I think the entrance is much, much better served this way and that's really not necessary. Plus the whole thing like, wait, where is his light? Like he lost his lightsaber. Oh crap. That's why he has to like grab the gun from the guy right. with his uh, force pull there. Yeah, I think it's really interesting when he gets dropped down into the rancor pit and strikes Jabba's ire. It, there's actually a few moments where we get terrified farm boy Luke when he realizes, oh, crap, I'm up against a giant yeah. monster. But like, I like I like his plan, though. His plan is I'm going to let him pick me up 
grab the bone, let him bring me all the way to a smith. That's a pretty risky plan considered, you know. So even mm-hmm. though he is kind of like, oh, giant rancor, he executes a plan that uh, you know, shows some confidence in the ability. Instead of constantly running away, his plan involves being brought right up to the monster's yeah. mouth and then sticking a bone in it. Yeah, because he sees what happens to that guard. Finger looking good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, the pig guards, by the way, they, they really lack in empathy. Because one of one of their own guys falls into the pit, and they're rooting for, and him. is yeah, eaten, well, and they laugh. They're like, "Humans oh, do that too, uh, Jason. Humans do that too." Oh, it's that's well, it's terrible. The Roman, the Roman Colosseum. It's horrible. Shame on the pit guards. Oh, we left out. I, I left out a thing I, I loved with the uh, the uh, Han Solo uh, when he first gets unfrozen, and he's talking. You know, he's got the whole "I know that" laugh, uh, <laughs> and they turn around. I love uh, that he starts talking to the wall. Oh, and they turn and Leia has to turn yeah. him around. It's just one of those. It undercuts that whole. He's like, "Hey, Jabba!" No, no, he's not over there. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I know that laugh. Hey, Jabba! Look, Jabba! I was just on my way to pay you back, and I got a little sidetracked. It's not my fault, Jabba. I'll pay you trip. You're throwing away a fortune here. Don't be a fool. Yeah. Princess Leia is famous. Uh, uh, bikini makes its appearance here too and i had a whole exchange with somebody on twitter the other I the other night that. about it and i'll say here what i said there which is for all the pop culture um significance that princess leia and her um in her kind of bondage chains bikini all of that as a like fabulous uh seminal uh 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 teenager uh, lust object kind of thingy whatever you know as we said on our empire podcast i think carrie fisher's way more attractive in the empire strikes back and here it's it's really kind of creepy and and it's not supposed to be nice she's in like a slave and it's it's yucky so i just thought i'd say that i was commenting to dan the first shot we see of her in the uh in the bikini is of her legs and ass as it's a slow pan like we don't even we see like the tail and then the bottom half of carrie fisher it's like oh okay that's uh well, and objectively it's also just kind of it's kind of we're talking about the tone of this movie again and that's that's an odd choice too for a movie that as we were saying does seem to veer a little more into the kid friendly um yeah but that's you know by far the most risque that star wars gets which I is, think the reason uh, it's, it stands out is the kids who are into Star Wars has kind of hit them right at the time where here's a character that you knew. It's like it's like seeing the girl next door in a bikini. You know yep. what I mean? Because here's the yep. person we knew for a long time and now we're seeing skin. It just basically comes down to that. We're seeing more skin than we saw in the previous movies. But I agree with Jason. She is she's more attractive. As prettier, an adult. Like, yeah. yeah. And if, oh, if yeah. you know oh, like yeah. what's going on in Carrie Fisher, the actress's life during this time, <laughs> and she's got her she's got her cocaine body, which real really yeah. slims you down. Uh, she looks uh, good in everything, but she also looks more. That's a mile. Up. It's the mileage. Yeah. I also, I also <laughs> got to say that uh, that this, I had this. I kept expecting a couple shots that I realized were because I grew up watching this movie so many times on my old pan and scan VHS oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. copy, and so like there are times where there's a scene where, uh, well, during the Raycor fights going on, they sort of you know go up cut up to the uh to carry like struggling against you know leia struggling against the chain from jabba and it's an in my recollection it's always a shot of salacious crumb and then a pan over to see jabba and leia and then every time i watch this on widescreen and it's actually oh we can fit the whole (laughs) shot in there because i'm actually watching a widescreen version of this but it's so inured in me from my childhood where it was just like that was the copy i had was you know my vhs copies from like the early 90s or something 
Yeah, I have that with a couple of movies from the 80s, too. Similar thing. It's like, you know, if you watch the pan and scan version a lot, I, yeah, Ghostbusters, you find Star, yourself Star Trek 2, Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> I mean, there are lots of movies like that that I, I'm expecting the pan and scan, and I'm reminded that it's not there anymore, that we're back to the movie as it was made. Thank God. Yeah, it's good. It's good. So the Rancor, um, in the, I believe, Roger Ebert review of Return of the Jedi, he has a, a great comment about the Rancor uh, being killed. And it, and it's something that I, I laughed at when I read it because I, I, I feel this way too. Um, the shirtless man, who is <laughs> obviously the keeper and trainer of the Rancor beast, is very sad, almost beside himself and needs to be consoled when he discovers that his beast has been killed. And what Ebert says about it is it shows that even a monster has somebody who loves it. <laughs> and I always loved that. It was a great That's touch. a great little scene. That the guy is really upset because it's his monster. He worked really hard on that monster and now it's dead. And that's a I little really bit more of the, the, the uh, jokey, you know, type stuff where, like, think of the trash compactor monster in A New Hope. Uh, right. There was some joking involved in that, but when the trash compactor monster was attacking and they were escaping it, it was pretty darn serious, you know? Uh, but here it's now like you got to have the gag line after the thing is killed to show the guy uh, laughing. So that, that fits with the tone of this movie is being a slightly more lighthearted. You know? Yeah, I love the uh, I love the design of the Rancor too, which is the yeah. one thing. Uh, another thing I noticed is there's this great little detail where when he's sort of bearing down on Luke and you see him sort of snarl and and bare his teeth or whatever, you can see that his forehead actually kind of depresses. It's this fascinating little detail, and I think there's sort of a, a vague illusion or a foreshadowing there to like that's basically right where the door hits him when it comes down. It's like oh, he's got a soft spot on top of his head. But it's a lovely little. If you haven't seen it, just go back and watch that scene. There's a little. There's a little clip where it's like he breathes out, and you see his forehead sort of go concave there, which is just it's it's a a throwaway thing that it just shows how much energy and time they put into creating these models, which it, I love. Stop motion drool. Stop motion drool. Oh Some yeah. Hanging from someone's got to animate that piece of drool. I will say though that the 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 matting compositing uh, in the. In the high def version that is taken from the special edition is vastly better than I remember that. That's another yeah. shot that's so ingrained in me from watching years upon years of the old VHS versions. Is that shot looks where you just see like the leg of the Rancor and uh -huh. Luke's behind it, and it gives you idea of scale. Mats. It's such a terrible mat, but uh, it looks it looks it looks pretty good actually in the in the more modern version. So shall we move outside to Jabba's sail barge where R two D two was previously assigned? Uh, coincidentally, party barge. Nothing like having a floating party over the sand. On their way to certain prisoners' deaths. Under the Sarlacc. But, but we, we, missed one of the, we missed one of the great dialogue scenes, though, which, I, which is one of my favorites of all time, which is the, you know, together again. Yeah, that's right. Come on! Luke! Are you all right? Fine. Together again, huh? Wouldn't miss it. How are we doing? Same as always. That bad, huh? Yeah, that scene starts to really push the boundaries of how jokey we can be while still taking things seriously. And it works mostly because of uh, Harrison Ford's charm and the lines are not bad. But like uh, every time I watch that now, I remember loving that scene so much as I was a kid. And, and when I see it now, I'm like, oh, they're really skirting the line there. Was there try it you know you you want to oh, be fun and jokey John. i'm not i'm I not a i'm not a curmudgeon like the, the lines in the thing are, are fine it's just that like that's that's almost as far as they take the the, the tone into the lightheartedness until we get to the ewoks uh so it doesn't bring me out of this thing but it's kind of like it i, I take it now as like kind of a little bit of foreshadowing and i think i was uh, I, this is something i i found from watching this movie over and over again as i've aged is that 
kids can handle shifts in tone much more easily than, or at least I could when I was a kid, much more easily than adults. Like, with kids, you can have a movie with incredibly dramatic scenes, which the kids will take totally seriously, and ridiculous, you know, humor scenes in the whole giant range. And adults want some consistency of tone, otherwise they're like, what kind of movie am I watching here? Uh, and so I, I found that I, I delighted in this movie when I saw it as a kid, and the shifts in tone didn't bother me at all. And now I can kind of see the seams between the transitions of where, okay, and now we're going to take this seriously, and now we're going to be jokey. Uh, see them a little bit more now than I did when I was a kid. Well, this whole set piece at the beginning, too, right, is very, it's clearly demarcated from the rest of the movie. Yeah. You know, you've got sort of that really brief opening scene with Darth Vader on on the Death Star, and then you've kind of forgot about that as soon as you get to Tatooine. And the whole thing on Tatooine is this great sort of, you know, like we were saying, action adventure serial type thing. It's like buddies. an Indiana Jones movie, really. Yeah, it is yeah. a little bit like an Indiana Jones movie. And there's some there's some really fantastic scenes. In it. And like sort of taken as itself, you know, I think it's it's really internally consistent. But yeah, then when you sort of shift to other places, and you always need, you know, as we'll talk a little bit about the structure, but like directly after this, right, we're sort of taken to another you know, palate cleanser scene with the Empire before we get into a really dramatic scene. But yeah, the whole, I love this whole section, if only because I love the whole skiff battle as we're about to discuss. Yes, the skiff battle. It's it's great. It's so it, well done. R2-D2 is, is delivering drinks. He has a drink platter tied to his head. And he's a man of many talents. You do also have, you have this scene, this is like the final bit where I, I remember loving this as a kid when Luke gets up there and he's on the end of the plank. That's great. You know, a good uh, pulpy kind of he's going to make him walk the plank to go into the thing. And he's like, this is your last job, chance, job. Uh, free us or die. And like at that point, you're like, come on. Is he serious? Is it's, he? Because he seems so confident. You're like, don't you realize you're about to be pushed into the pit with the monster? And you and everything has gone wrong. Where did you think this was going? He's like, oh, they pushed Luke Skywalker off and he's dead. And that's the end of the movie. It, it reminded me of uh, of Doctor Who, too. Because that was, I think, with David Tennant especially, yeah. that was like a thing that you always you always get. And I, which I I suppose I suppose was probably inspired by this. But it's that hero's moment of like, all right, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna destroy you unless you change your ways. I'm giving you a chance. Yeah, and he gives him so many chances. But I didn't believe him as a kid. And as a kid, I said, but Luke, you can't, you're you can't get out of this, Luke. You don't you understand? Why is he so confident? Why overconfident, is Luke? Luke? Yeah, why is Luke so confident? Didn't he see Empire when he got his butt kicked? And that makes his that makes his triumph in this thing all the more satisfying. As your kid, like he was serious, he did do it. He, you know, like he knew it was going to be all right all along. He's not that same. He's not that kid anymore, right? He's yeah, this I confident the, Jedi guy. Uh, and I love the musical cue here, which is one of my favorite Star Wars music cues don't. of all three movies. And don't. it's perfectly timed. It builds that suspense. Yeah. And then you sort of go into the heroic theme from there. And I love, you know, there's so much to love about this entire segment of the movie. I love the sort of the uh, again, we're sort of veer into the comic jokey tone where Lando gets thrown, you know, off the skiff and he's sliding down the Sarlacc oh, yeah, yeah. and uh, Hanachi trying to get him out. And I think that works and, so well here because then you're as soon as that music starts playing and he's swinging that green lightsaber around like a baseball bat. You're like, if you're a kid in the audience, like you're so big oh, smile yeah. on your face. You, you can't even stay in your seat. And here we it totally go. fits with like the, mm-hmm. you know. I thought you were blind. All that stuff going on totally works with the scene because you're just that's like the the release, the joyous crescendo of this entire sequence. But Boba Fett uh, dying was yeah. uh, sad. He dies like a chump. He goes out like a chump. Not a not a great way. Just Boba a Wilhelm scream and he's gone. He deserved better. And by the way, this movie has the 
the Wilhelm screens that are the farthest front in the mix in any movie yeah. I can ever recall yeah. seeing. There are multiple ones of them, and it's like the dominant sound. It's not like, you know, in the background we'll hide a couple of Wilhelms. They have like, no, I think it's three times or two times they do a full frontal Wilhelm. <laughs> this is the main audio you are hearing. Every piece of it, the loudest thing in the scene. Ben Bridges wanted to make sure it got recognized. And then there's a there's a comical belch. That's yeah. the second one in the movie, too, so far. There's mm-hmm. the... Uh, there's the one outside, uh, the little frog outside of uh, Jabba's palace that eats uh, something else oh, right. and burps. Yeah, and I think that the green lightsaber, like, uh, again, going to this movie, I had no idea Luke's lightsaber would be green, because as far as I know, he lost his lightsaber. It's just green. It's like 100% green, but it's such a, a an iconic image from my childhood of cinema. Like, Luke with the green lightsaber equals Return of the Jedi. And it, it, it works so well in a palette that was... You know, it's sandy, it's brown, they're in the dark in Jabba's palace, and now you have this neon green thing slicing through people. And it's thicker, this is getting a little Freudian, it's thicker and bigger than, <laughs> than, than like, the, the blue one. It's, the, it's, basically just it's, more, a, of a, it's it, more of a broadsword than a yeah. foil. And it's, well, it's, it's kind of like your own lightsaber why you not gotta make, make it, it right well but it's special effects though because in the beginning in the in a new hope they had like uh you know rods with beads on them that were spinning and they would shine lights on them and then in empire they had uh i don't know if they still use that effect but it was like skinnier looking but by this time they had the rotoscoping stuff down and they're like no this is gonna be a light a man's lightsaber well and, and, and you know worth worth bearing out that the special effects in this movie are in many ways better than all the oh so much better sisters, right well, mm-hmm. i was gonna say that some i thought I, empire some empire stuff is better yeah that's what it's I was more say. consistent because you don't have all the yeah there they, the matting they try, problems and stuff. They try things here that they were just a little bit beyond their abilities. Whereas Empire was in the sweet spot where they went beyond a new hope, but everything they did they executed like very very well. And this, there are a couple that, things they execute so yeah. so. You know? But that, at the at the flip side, there are a couple things like this space battle at the end, which are just which is amazing, beautiful. which is still yeah. are still unbeaten in my opinion. So we also get a great callback to the original movie here where Luke and Leia are swinging on a rope again, which I really liked. Which yep. is attached to what? It's attached. I figured this out when I was a kid because it <laughs> oh, bothered me you. too. All right. Here's what they're trying to say where it's attached to. This would be like JFK, right? It's attached, to the, it's attached right? to the barge, right? <laughs> the sail barge has a, has a cloth roof thing and the cloth roof thing extends out past the edges of the sail barge. So this is one of the ropes that was attached to the cloth things that he's disengaged. So I can draw you a diagram from, but it doesn't quite work <laughs> with the distances involved, but it gives you something. It looks good up until that last shot where they land on the little skiff yeah, thing. It's, it's too far and away. It's holding it, and the angle's wrong, and it's yeah. just like they break the 180 degree line. That's the issue. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's, it's way too wrong. far away, and it doesn't quite work, and it's attached to some piece of rigging on the set. But at least there is something hanging in also, the air between them and the thing, and that's the also roof the, the uh, with the lightsaber thing. I like to point out that it, it apparently is quite the bludgeoning weapon because he yeah, hits people yeah. with it, and they just fall yeah. off the skiff instead of getting like cleaved in half. It's not not so much slicing in these movies because he's supposed to be a good guy, and he was dismembering people left and right. And plus, it, I think he it's turned it on a lower setting, guys. I mean, he's, just, <laughs> he's got it on size sharp. Yeah, I think it's basically, though, because the special effects required to make a lightsaber actually slice people up didn't exist at the time. It would have been tremendously no. expensive. It's much cheaper to have a stunt guy fall to well, the ground. Uh, yeah, although we do have Obi-Wan in the first movie slicing that guy's arm. Oh, we don't see that. We just see, we see slice and then we see rubber arm fall on floor. You know, it's a little That's bit lower. With blood, with blood pouring out, which makes no sense. And it's the wrong hand. Um, anyway... <laughs> This this uh, digress. Luke, Luke gets shot in the arm here, and and it's that moment that se- hand, it's setting yeah. up a later moment. But it's that it's that aha! 
mechanical arm, remember? Yeah, just and it's also like, yeah, like so, do we know somebody else who's got lots of mechanical parts? Hmm. They don't dwell well, on it. That's nice point, though, because though. yeah, that they just set it up, right? Just though, to set that's, up. That's what's nice about it. It's it's kind of subtle. Like they show it a couple times. You're like, oh yeah, he has that mechanical hand because he got his hand cut off. And so I think that the payoff on it is then is then excellent because you're not really thinking about it in that direction. If you but, watch the yeah, cell like barge, that. if you watch the cell barge blowing up, by the way, Dan, because I'm, I'm watching the, the bits of the movie, you watch the cell yep. barge blow up, you can see the the thing that he was swinging from sticking yeah. out uh, a little bit. On it. The other thing in this scene that I'm reminded of is when Boba Fett meets his sad end. Uh, ah! Right before, right before he does, Han Solo says Boba Fett, and then he says Boba Fett where? And I, for the longest time when I was a kid, this bothered me, and I, it doesn't bother me as much now, but I still think about it. He says Boba Fett twice, and they just replayed the same sample yeah. of him saying Boba Fett twice. Yeah. They didn't have yeah, it a second no. time. I also I'll interject with one of my as I as I'm want to do. Uh, there are a couple of lines I like a lot. I, I like better in the in the radio drama version of Jedi. For example, I really enjoy. <laughs> if you love it, why don't you marry it? I it's not legal in this state yet. Okay. Um, but I really enjoy that when uh, when Han's hanging over and uh, he like lowers the blaster to shoot the tentacle that's grabbing Lando, and Lando's like, "Wait, I thought you were blind." In the uh, in the radio drama, there's a scene where he goes, "It's all right. I can see a lot better now." <laughs> The uh, uh, that explosion is really large too. I, I wonder if there was like a plan K, which was well, if everything goes really badly and it looks like we're gonna die, we've lined Jabba's sail barge. They've actually just put a whole bunch of droids with explosive flammable on the barge. things because it, thermal detonators just explode really big. It, I guess it doesn't go up a little bit; it goes up a lot. That's a I mean, highly flammable. It wouldn't have passed inspection. No wonder J- uh, Jabba is full of kerosene. At, lives outside the law. Yeah, because that's a well, really and, dangerous. And of course, thing. we left out that uh, that Leia gets to del- deliver the killing blow. Yep. on Jabba the Hutt. Which is, she's still a feisty one. Yeah, we've got her. Uh, I mean, it's nice they do some, a nice parallel job with Han's trying to rescue Lando. Luke's kicking everybody's ass, and um, incidentally, I also love the little judo flip that he, the judo. Uh, when he, he jumps onto the sail barge and the little door pops up and there's a guy there and he's like clinging on with one hand. He's just like, oh, let me just flip this guy out this window here. <laughs> and Leia gets to strangle Jabba the Hutt with her chain. With her chain. Yeah. Put me in chains. I'll show you. So moving on. Uh, let's leave Tatooine behind. And uh, we've got the arrival of the Emperor at the new Death Star. Because again, the Emperor, not uh, not just sending Darth Vader to check up on on uh, what's going on with the Death Star. He's actually his advance man, and the, the Emperor is going to make his own appearance and set up shop in the under-construction Death Star, uh, where you get this um, really spectacular, um, you know, it's some actors and mostly matte painting of these uh, stormtroopers and other people assembled by the hundreds on the shuttle bay to welcome the Welcome the Emperor to the to the Death Star with his red guards. With the red guards, I love the red guards um, so much. A- even at the time, I was like, "Whoa, who are those guys?" And they don't really do anything; they're just kind of present. They're the Imperial Guard, but I always love them. And uh, this is another place where my son exclaimed, "Oh, those guys are so hard to kill!" In Lego <laughs> Star Wars, right? But but I remember as a kid, I was enthralled by the red because it's like, "Whoa, wait a second. These aren't stormtroopers. These are like these are scary. They're the, like the red guards with they stay with the emperor. And I like the other. I like his little advisor guys who never get much to do. Who kind of look like rejects from like Wizard of Oz or something. Yeah, the pale. They've got people. like purple. Yeah, the purple 
face paint and like crazy like Russian hats and stuff like that. <laughs> and again, with the red with the red guys, they waited three movies. They had, had two movies full of black and white stormtroopers, basically, and yeah. they waited waited to the last movie to pull out the red dudes, and they're all the more dramatic for it. I also like that they do a good job. We were talking about with the with this the hangar bay scene uh, again is that they set up for you. There's that nice little echo back to the opening shot where Darth Vader shows up and there's like a bunch of stormtroopers and officers lined up and they're really excited. And then when the Emperor shows up, everybody turns Everybody's out, right? There. Like, so we got a night, we've got like a perspective for you thought it, you thought there were a bunch of people waiting for a guy to get off a shuttle last time. You ain't seen nothing yet. Although you do get the sense that Vader's appearance is like a snap inspection or it's like, oh, geez, we're, they're checking up on us. Whereas with the Emperor, it's like the Pope coming to visit somewhere. Yeah. It's like, yeah, everybody's going to be clean and in line, and we're all going to be here when the Emperor comes. Well, they've also had warning over the Emperor yes. at this point. Yes, Vader has said, oh, well, when the Emperor gets here. And you've got <gasps> Vader kneeling again, just like an Empire. Where, oh, like, yeah. There's the big tough guy from A New Hope. Uh, uh, who, well, his boss makes him scared, so he's going to kneel on the hologram thing to talk to him in Empire. And then here, when Emperor comes down the little ramp from his shuttle, Vader is sitting there kneeling already with his head down, you know, setting and, uh, up. And, you know, it's interesting. I remember as a kid thinking like, you know, Darth Vader is is outwardly, right, the really scary one. But the Emperor, because he's big and hulking and he seems like he's really impressive and we see him fight a lot. And the Emperor is like this wizened old little man, right? And I think the the, the contrast there is really interesting. And you do get this sort of, I don't know, is it anticlimactic when you see the Emperor come out and be like, oh... He's just like an old dude. Until he delivers a line, because all of his yeah. lines are delivered with so much venom and evil. It just oozes from his pores. I remember being freaked out by the Emperor when I was a kid. Oh, he scared the crap out of me. I couldn't even look uh-huh. at the action figure. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, super credit to Ian McDermott, who, you know, you know, does show up in some other movies later. Um, but um, <laughs> he wasn't even that old in this one. Yeah, well, that's the thing is I always, you always look at him and think like, oh, my God, he must be like this super old guy. But he was probably in his like 30s at that point. Yeah, just and made us to be hideously. He does ugly. a fantastic job. I mean, you know, he sells that. He's another one like he's Guinness, so oily. Just like he's just well, a professional, yeah. right? He's just like, bam. All right. Old, evil, like, you know, guy. Fine. Sign me up. I'll, I'll do it like, you know, it's my job. He's one of the few actors who can really hone both speech and eyes where it's just you're constantly looking into the emperor's eyes with every single word he says. And you're like, oh, God, please stop looking at me. Yeah, and it, it, his delivery is very kind of affected. But, like, you know, he doesn't just read the lines. He, I don't know if he decided or he was directed in this manner, but it's a character just based on the voice. You can have the emperor read the back of a cereal box and you would know it's the emperor saying it because of the way he says everything. Like his, his the choices of how he enunciates words and what he emphasizes and his cadence is distinctly emperorish almost in not in a comic book or cartoon kind of way but but in a slightly heightened more than reality type of way and that can very quickly go into silly parody where you sound like a buffoonish villain uh but that avoids it i think it's avoided entirely in this movie he is just scary and creepy and and yet so distinct from his brief appearance in empire right because it's a totally different actor and it's a fake composite face and everything um and i remember that being very confusing when i was a kid because I, I could tell the difference, right? Yeah, he looked totally different. The makeup was different. The voice was different. And the sound is this. The, the sound of his voice is, is so yeah. different that it is like, you know, you have to, again, with the rationalization, well, did he get just that much more evil between the, those two movies? The asteroids what, what exactly were causing interference. They try, he tried to get out of the field to send a clear transmission, but there was still some problems. Yeah. Sugar is the second ingredient, my young Jedi. 
These Cheerios are suitable for you. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to do the Emperor reading a cereal box. Anyway, um, should we move on to Yoda? Oh, Yoda's no. Yoda's Yoda's just trying to get some sleep and maybe die, and and Luke just keeps on bugging him. Earned it. I could has. not watch this movie a lot when I was growing up, simply because I hated watching the Yoda dying sequence. Yeah, he's a, he's just... he's a lot. Um, yeah, he's calmer he's... in this one. Although I did, my favorite part of the Yoda sequence, he's talking. He's he's mellow. He's dying. He's talking to Luke or whatever, and then Luke says. So I am a Jedi. And Yoda's like, oh, no. Yeah, right. It's nice, nice try, kid. And there's the old Yoda. Like, he's buried in there. Right. But he's, like, coughing and sputtering. He's like, yeah, that's my Empire Yoda. No more training do you require. I, it struck me as being like, well, that's awfully sudden. Wasn't he just here screwing up? And he ran off? And now he doesn't well, need he any can, more he training? Can sense that. We just saw what he's capable of. Obviously, yeah. he's been doing some study work at home. Kind Jedi, of. Jedi calisthenics. <laughs> work at home. He's got, he's got the uh, the uh, correspondence the, course. In, yeah, Jedi you know, home game. I think, uh, I think the the University of Phoenix offers a Jedi correspondence course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but that's when he says, so I am a Jedi. And then he gets put in his place one last time before Yoda fades away. Well, I also really enjoyed Yoda being, we could see Yoda being evasive, right? When he's like, yeah. so, you know, is Darth Vader my to- dad? And Yoda's told like, you he uh, did. Yeah, I need a nap. Yeah. I'm going to just turn must, over I'm here. Sleep I must sleep and I will probably yes. die. So I don't have well, to answer your awkward questions. I, I like the fact that he's looking away from from Luke. They got the camera on Yoda's oh, yeah. face, and he's looking away from you. So told you he did unexpected. This was, you know, it's like th- that's a good. He gets to have he gets to have one more feisty scene where he laughs at Luke, thinking he's a Jedi. And he gets to have one more gravely serious scene where he's kind of talking to himself and at Luke at the same time. So even his brief appearance here, we get the the full range of Yoda. Well, this scene as a as a whole is is fantastic because I love you know we start with sort of the just the interplay with Luke and Yoda in terms of him watching Yoda and Yoda's like, ah, I see, you know, you're making faces. Yeah, I'm getting old. And I, again, I think Hamill does a really good job of selling this sort of, you know, sadness of seeing someone who is, a, you know, your mentor pass away, basically, you know, waste away in front of your eyes. Uh, and, and this, you know, there's a lot of emotional weight for this scene here, which I think holds up pretty well. I mean, as a kid, you know, you're sort of sad for the abstract reason that oh he's dying and dying is sad but you know sort of it holds up as an adult to watch it and sort of you know think about the implications of of yoda passing on here and i think it's remarkably affecting for a scene again performed by a guy using a puppet uh you know i, I think that the yoda the, the you know the yoda that we see here is is still so much more powerful than the yoda that we see in any of uh, any other movies that might exist or might not exist. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I think, you know, Frank Oz does a fantastic job here as he did in Empire and and yet manages to do such a distinct job as, as John's saying. Like it is, there are some throwbacks here to Empire, but at the same time, this is a different side of Yoda in some ways. Very sad. He and just, he, fades, he dies and, and he fades, fades away. away. Which at that, at this point, I remember expecting him to fade away. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, he's going to fade away like Obi-Wan. Yeah. And, he, and a lot of another great musical cue here. Yeah, that when the when the fadeaway mm-hmm. happens, that a lot of a lot of the music here, I think, does a really good job of enhancing the action. And and I guess the unkind description of it would be that it's very on the nose, but uh, I think it works for the most part. Uh, it it's you know it's like it's like a musical salt. It it changes the flavor a little. Bit. Well, when it works, it really works. Like when you get everything behind. There's many other later scenes in the movie where it's just like the musical cues line up exactly with the dramatic things, and that can be hokey, but not when your music is this good and the moment works that it just oh, it just makes it even better. 
I, you know, to, and also, you know, to the credit of Mark Hamill, once again, I, I really, that last bit, you know, where Yoda's, look, there is another yeah. guy, you know, which took me as a kid, I was like, there's another fly <laughs> mopper. There's another. There's another fly swatter. No, I was there's I was hanging on that because I no, there is another with the red lights from the takeoff. What's the other word? Yeah, yeah. I, w- I was waiting years to find out what did you, what's the. No. But I love Hamill the Hamill's reaction shot there, where he's like he's like sitting on every word, and then it takes a second for him to realize. Oh, he just died! <laughs> like right after he gave me this group, you can sort of see it. His eyes widen and just be like. Oh crap! You know, like, and I, I think that's just a that's a it's another remarkably powerful shot there. So after the drama of Yoda and his final words, um, Luke is preparing his X wing to take off, and he gets a visit from Ghost Obi Wan Kenobi. It's story story time with Uncle Ben, and he's yeah. aged for some reason. You wouldn't think Ghost would <laughs> Ghost age. Would age. Force some ghosts do older. continue to age. Well, and it he, turns out, and he sits on a log. He sits on a log. <laughs> Because it's very tiring being a force ghost. He's been hanging. He's been hanging out there. Actually, my theory about the force ghosts is that they they um, when they're not visible, time no time passes for them. So for him, it's been like ten minutes <laughs> since he got struck down in the Death Star. Also, I think and he, he popped pushes, up. And, uh, he pushes like a vine aside too. Yeah. Being a ghost, but he's got he's got some explaining to do I too. I mean, they're one with the force. Presumably, they can move things around. They, this is this is much less effective than the Yoda scene. As much as I love Guinness, he sleepwalks through this scene. And I don't know if that's because he's not playing it opposite Hamill. Like if he if they shot it separately to composite him in. But he's just flat through this scene for the most part. I do like his delivery on, on Then the Emperor Has Already Won. Because he's yeah, kind of, he, seems, good, he seems tired. Mm-hmm. And he, he gets I think a couple good lines off. But a lot of it is very, you know. Some of this material is not. And the fact that he's basically... The other, the other great line. He's of like a liar is, here, though. That, I mean, this is the problem yeah. with it, and, and I am. Yeah. He's tarnished. He he uh, this, he he's uh, well. What I told you is true from a certain point of view, well, and, that, and that's another great line. Yeah. I and love Luke that calls line. him on it. Luke calls him on it. It's a, it's a it's a reversal of the historic relationships where you know he he had these teachers telling him, and now he's calling them on their because they did lie to him, you know. And it's I think that's part of their characters. They should be a little bit troubled and ashamed at this point. You know what I mean? And Luke has to take this on himself. You know, he's basically like, you've got to face Vader. You've got to go do it. We're not here to teach you anymore. And by the way, we kind of lied to you and you can call us on it and we'll feel kind of ashamed. But, you know. Yeah, it's like, what kind of crappy force is this? If you guys are the sparkly ghosts and you're lying to me. He's stupid. One of the one of the worst ghosts, you know, sort of reveals ever, (laughs) which is the uh, that's why your sister remains safely anonymous. It's Leia. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know. Damn it! <laughs> I was don't really tell, trying. Don't tell to... Vader. Sure. Yeah. Don't even think it. If you think about thinking it, think of something else. Bury your Empty... feelings. Yes. Puppies, puppies. Empty puppies, your head. Puppies. Don't try to pi- yeah. try not to think of a pink elephant. Stay puff marshmallow man. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> well, we also this is also the first reveal of uh, Anakin Skywalker. Anakin name. Skywalker. I remember watching this movie going, hum a what, Skywalker? Huh? What? And just totally missed it. It's like, I guess he's got a name of something thing. Well, my cousin had the, uh, you could save up like your box tops or maybe this is the uh, back of the like Kenner action figures or something and send it in for an Anakin Skywalker figure, which was like limited edition, which I remember him having as a kid that you like couldn't get anywhere. That was the guy. Pretty awesome. With his helmet off all... Burned no, and- it was actually. I think he's either. It's. I think it's like the Force Ghost version of him, basically, uh-huh. in the end. Like he's a little translucent or something. 
not looking like Hayden Christensen. Not who? I, I, mean, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> he was the guy who was in that movie Shattered Glass. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, that guy. I always thought he might be an interesting Star Wars guy, but uh, eh. no, not really. Eh, his acting really. kind of wouldn't. Not so much. Yeah. Well, no, that might make him a perfect Star Wars guy. I don't know. I... When we didn't even, I mean, off the top, we didn't even talk about Revenge of the Jedi either. Yeah. 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 So, so there was the the movie title two step with there was Revenge of the Jedi, and of course before that it was even it was codenamed while they were shooting it because of course everybody wanted to know. Yes. Uh, you know, so Blue they Blue Harvest. Harvest was the codename, and they had the t shirts and hats and everything made up and told everybody it was a horror film that they what were was, making. What was the tagline? I forget what the tagline for Blue Harvest oh, was. Oh yeah, it's something like kind of has vaguely, a name or something or like worse yeah. than you ever believed or something like that. Yeah, I'm looking it up. Blue Harvest, and 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 then what was it? Was what was the sequence? They then the people who were making Star Trek Two: The Vengeance of Khan didn't want to be uh, too close to the Revenge of the Jedi, so they changed it to the Wrath of Khan. And then George Lucas decided the Jedi's didn't horror did, beyond imagination. Jedi's didn't do vengeance, so they changed the name to Return of the Jedi. And nobody, Which I think, vengeance. was a good choice. I, yeah. I think it was a very good choice because revenge does not fit with the with the feeling of this movie. No, and and not to spo- spoiler alert, uh, the, George Lucas decided that the Sith perhaps were more appropriately having mm, revenge, and so he just used that title yeah. later. One of my uh, I remember again when my my cousins were were older than I were, so they had all the awesome Star Wars stuff. Um, but they they had a at some point had a Revenge of the Jedi poster that I guess was a pre release poster, mm. but it later I think it was it met with unfortunate ends in the, the sense that they didn't really take care of it but uh, i remember as a kid thinking that was the coolest thing that is cool yeah they get the revenge you were right ah sweet finally i'm waiting three podcasts for that <laughs> okay i'm gonna stop it there and uh before we move on to uh, to meet admiral akbar and uh visit the moon of avatar i mean Endor. uh we're gonna pause take a break as we do with these very long Star Wars podcasts and come back next week for another edition of the incomparable talking about return of the Jedi some more until then, I want to thank my participants who have done excellent work so far. I hope they can keep it up in the second half. Serenity Caldwell. Thank you. Thank you. Dan Morin. Thank you. It's a wrap. <laughs> we haven't even talked about Admiral Ackbar. Sorry. Yet. Sorry. And, Thanks. Jason. And that was, that was foreshadowing. Very nice. And John Syracusa. When two hours long, you reach sound as good. You will not. Hmm? <laughs> that was a, a time appropriate reference, by the way. Dan. I, I cannot argue with that. Uh, until next time, when we pick this up. Thanks for listening to the incomparable. I'm Jason Snell. See you next time. Your taste buds can't repel flavor of that magnitude. <laughs> No oh, man. <laughs> now with brine shrimp. That's so great. <laughs> I will eat your eye, droid. <laughs> 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 <laughs>